0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together.
1: Hey, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Zane hit all the highlights this morning from chapters 1 through 11. Of all the big stuff in Romans, the theology of Romans, and today we get into the application of Romans, so we'll try to finish out the book, and then you've had a lot of Romans today. So it was by God's providence that Zane preached this morning on that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As always, this is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Let's pray together, and as I pray, I ask that you pray for me tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather around a meal, to fellowship, to gather around your Word, to be fed in that way. I pray that you illumine our hearts and minds, that you forgive us of our sins, that you draw us closer to you and closer to each other. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this is Brother Zane's favorite passage. This is his life verse, if you will, Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, and it's very familiar to all of us, and I was told that I needed to be 20 minutes or under and applicational. So in order to tick off both of those, we only have two verses tonight. But, as Steve Lawson has rightly said, these might be the most important verses in all of the Bible. These might be the most two important verses that you have put away in your heart. And as we see, just right from the beginning, Paul automatically gives us This emphasis, saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And some of your translations may say, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you, I plead with you, or all the renderings of this. But this is Paul's way of saying, wake up, that this stuff is important. Uh, Steve Lawson had a great example saying that as pastors and teachers and preachers, we often see people in the congregation that simply have a do not disturb sign around their neck. Or they said, I'm here in body only, but the lights are out. I've already eaten. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy myself. You entertain me. And it has a do not disturb sign. And this is Paul's way of grabbing that do not disturb sign off of your neck and saying, wake up. If you have slept for chapters 1 through 11, this is the time where you wake up. Because this is how the rubber meets the road, if you would. And, of course, we see Paul utilizing the therefore that he often does. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and is often said from the pulpit here at this church, if you have a therefore, you ask what it is therefore. I love it when I hear people say it back to me. What is it therefore? The therefore bridges the two great continents of the book of Romans. Paul spends an enormous amount of time just delving into deep theological issues and now he builds the bridge of therefore, saying, I urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of everything that we have done. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. But this bridge is properly motivated in Paul's heart and in Paul's mind. And as most of us know, at the end of verse 1, this is all leading to what? To worship. These, these are famous worship verses, if you would. But everything is leading to the landing pad of worship At the end of verse 1. But Paul never loses sight of what his motivation is. Saying, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God is Paul's motivation for this ripping off of the do not disturb sign around our necks. Saying, the mercies of God that we have just talked about. Especially in Romans chapter 9 through 11. The great exposition of God's mercy. This is the motivation for Paul shifting us into this applicational mindset. And so this is landing on worship. His worship, which he ends on, is motivated by the mercies of God. And so whenever somebody tells me as a worship pastor, you know, I just didn't, quote unquote, feel the worship service tonight or today or this morning or whenever it was. I just didn't feel that this spoke to me in a certain way. My first recommendation to them always is you need to dwell upon and meditate upon the mercies of God. Because this is Paul's motivation as he leads into spiritual worship. His motivation is the mercies of God. Mark Dever, and I don't think it's original to him, but said, What you win them with is what you win them to. So Paul just finished his exposition in chapters 1 through 11, and it automatically leads him into a doxology. The end of this we say every week. In Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever see there's no music here there's no music for Paul's worship it doesn't start with music John MacArthur rightly says worship doesn't start with music it ends in music for Paul his theology leads to doxology as a model for us that the theology of chapters 1 through 11 leads Paul to erupt this unbridled worship and there's not even a note sung and we say this doxology every week it is a praise and a model for us so the question is is what is motivating our worship day in day out sundays wednesdays is it the music is it the drums or the organ or the pads or the piano or whatever aisle that you fall on in that because like i said earlier what you win them with is what you win them to So if you are winning them with all the music and the pads and the thumping band and the glorious organ and the wonderful piano, that's what you won them to. Whereas Paul's example here is that you are winning them to, motivating them to worship by the mercies of God. And if you win them with God, you've won them to what? To God. The mercies of God is the proper motivation as we move into the application of Romans but the motivation is correct, and it leads Paul to give a mandate. What is he appealing for? What does he want us to do? This is the reason why Paul says, wake up, take off the do not disturb sign. This is the whole reason. is because the mandate that he gives us is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living as a living sacrifice with the right motivation this is the right response presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice obviously elicits temple language of sacrificial language and of course we see that it's living and not dead there's lots of wonderful theological undertones there if you would but we have in the old testament the image of the animal being killed and sacrificed and put on the altar as a dead sacrifice Whereas now Paul's mandate coming out of the theology of Romans 1-11 through 11 is we are not a dead sacrifice, we are a living sacrifice. Mainly because the death penalty has already been paid. But it didn't stay there. That sacrifice rose again. That sacrifice is living as well. And if we are in Christ, we are to do likewise, to live as a living sacrifice, or to walk as a living sacrifice. The temple sacrifice is in time, one and done. The animal only dies once, whereas this, living, is 24-7. Waking, breathing, walking, 24-7, day in, day out, is our worship as a living sacrifice. We have it in time here, but it is all the time for us who are in Christ. And so this is just expanding upon the worship that we see in Scripture. And that's the constant theme from Old Testament to New Testament. We have the shadow, and then we have the realization, the better. Such as in the Old Testament, you have the covenant sign is circumcision. That's not as good as baptism. Circumcision can only be applied to boys. That's one way. That's not limited to that in the New Testament for the covenant sign. It can be applied to both males and females. A lot of people like to focus on the feast. Boy, they love them some Old Testament feasts. But that's the shadow. The better feast, the expanded, the better, more fulfilled feast is communion. That's where our focus should be, is communing with Christ and in Christ. But the same goes for worship. Worship in the Old Testament is it is stilled in time at a specific location, date, time. It's happening right here. Temple, tabernacle, tent. This right here, entering into the Holy of Holies. It all happens just right here in this spot at that time. But Paul expands that for our mandate, saying that no, no, no. Worship for us who are in Christ is no longer set to this one date, this one time. It is 24-7, day in, day out. We are always worshiping God in everything that we do. Living, breathing, the way we treat each other, the way we interact with God on a day-to-day basis. And so that's the question, isn't it? Are we (laughs) manifesting ourselves as a living sacrifice day in and day out? Are we worshiping all day, every day, or is the first time that you've worshiped in the week on Sunday or on Wednesday or Sunday night. If that's the first time that you've worshiped in the week or the only time that you've worshiped in the week, it is the first day, then you're missing out. And we're not walking biblically in the mandate that Paul has given us. We that's why we don't use the language that we come to church to worship. Yes, that's true, but it's not true enough. We are already worshiping, and the worshipers are gathering together to worship congregationally. It's it's an outflow and culmination of all the worship as a living sacrifice is happening day in and day out. That's the mandate. That's the reason that Paul is transitioning us today. So we are to worship day in, day out, and all that we do... But we don't get to do it in any way that we personally see fit. God requires a manner within our worship. He says that we are to live as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. So that means we don't get to worship how you want or how I want. And that rubs a lot of people, especially the modern church, wrong. That I can worship God, how I want to worship God, when I want to worship God, and the way that I want to worship God. And the question that flows is, who's in charge? You or God? You, God. you see why the mercies of God is so critical for your motivation? Because if you don't get that right, you're not going to land with God in charge. You're going to land with you in charge, doing the things that you want to do. And God says that our living sacrifice, day in and day out worship, is to be holy and acceptable. And of course, holy literally means to cut and to separate. That's the language there. So if you have the rib roast, you cut the rib eye and you move it over. This rib eye is no longer the rib roast. This rib roast is no longer the rib eye. They are separate now. They are something different at this point. So that's the image that we have, to be separate, to be other, to be cut, to be removed. But it can't stop there, and that's the problem, because you may be totally different than everybody else in the world, and all that qualifies you to be is a weirdo. You could be unlike anybody else here, but you could just be a weirdo in the corner, worshiping God, or an idol, or some other false God, or in a strange manner. All the separation does is just qualifies you to that, so Paul re-emphasizes that our holiness, our separateness, is to be acceptable to God. It is to be acceptable to God, which automatically tells us that there is an acceptable way to worship God, which means there is an unacceptable way to worship God. And that kind of rubs us the wrong way in a lot of times, because there is an acceptable manner of worship and an unacceptable manner of worship. And to walk and live as a living sacrifice, to live upon the altar of life, worshiping God, we must be holy and separate. It's the manner in which we do this. And if we're putting all of this together, eventually it manifests into the landing pad that Paul is emphasizing, which is your spiritual worship. That's, that's where we've been going at this entire time. This that I'm mandating is this, is your spiritual worship. What's interesting about this is the word spiritual worship. A lot of times we think of the word pneuma, which is spirit-filled worship. Such as in John 4, we have worship in spirit, pneuma, and truth. But here, Paul says, which this, what I'm mandating of you today, is your spiritual worship. And the word is logikos, logikos. Now, look at the first five letters of that word. What does that look like? Anybody brave enough to say looks like logic this is where we get our word logic and logical from so if you read it literally this is your logical worship or I like the way that Moore puts it is your informed worship again this is coming and all being informed from where the motivation started which was the theology the doxology the motivation the mercies of God all of this is informing your actual worship and so this is different than just merely an emotional frenzy so we see this as a constant theme throughout scripture come let us reason together or you are to teach each other in psalms hymns and spiritual songs there's a there's a mind logical outflow of that or on mount carmel the pagans boy, they just they cut themselves and they're ripping their clothes they are in a complete emotional frenzy Whereas on God's side, his prophet says, well, maybe your God's using the restroom or maybe he's asleep laughing at the lack of sense among any of them. That they're doing all of these things in the wrong way to the wrong God. Doesn't make sense. It's not informed and it's not true spiritual worship. So where do we get informed from? God's word, where we have the mercies of God revealed which helps us to manifest and leads us and guides us to manifest true spiritual worship. And Paul just recapitulates this in verse 2. He's already said a lot of this. He's just saying it in a different manner, reemphasizing, just in case you missed it in verse 1, the mind that we see. Saying, do not be conformed to this world is the negative that he often does, which is the same as the holiness. Moving away, cutting, separating, do not be conformed to this world. You're moving away, but of course the positive side of that, like he did before, is be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. So Paul keeps emphasizing this, the mercies of God, where we get from God, your logical, informed worship, so that you can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there's this heavy mind, and I don't want to say mental aspect to it, but it's not less than that, certainly. So we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And this process of being holy and acceptable, not being like the world, I mean, transformed by the renewal of your mind is just what we call in theological terms, sanctification. Brother Zane talked about that uh, quite well this morning, that this is the process of sanctification which obviously begs the question is how do we go about this sanctification process? Yes, I understand we we are to be a living sacrifice and worship in an acceptable manner, not just what I want to do. I understand this, but how do we do the stuff? How do we walk in sanctification? And, of course, Scripture answers that without any qualms whatsoever. In John 17, 17, it says, "...sanctify them by the truth and your word." Is truth. So, this is why we emphasize the Word of God all day, every day, without fail. Because if you want to really worship, if you really want to walk as a living sacrifice, it doesn't happen apart from the Word of God. Where else do you learn the mercies of God? Which is the motivation? From the Word of God. It must start and end there. So, this is in our worship services, we try to model this and enforce this so we have a call to worship God's word speaks to us and then we respond in song or we have a scripture reading and then we respond in praise or the pastor exposits the word and then we respond in singing a hymn of response because that's the model that God's given us God speaks first he initiates the covenantal relationship with us first without that the rest doesn't happen. So God speaks, and then we respond to worship. If you want to worship, you need God to speak to you. You need God to reveal his mercies to you. And then we respond as by living on the altar. But we respond for the reason of knowing the will of God. So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God? All this is for a purpose and with, towards an end. It's not just, so, okay, we have our little binder with all of our theological notes and our yellow tabs and all of this. Look at me. I've read all of A.W. Pink, all of Calvin, all the greats. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just the knowledge but the acting so that way we may know by testing, you may discern. There's another mind aspect of this, what the will of God is. And of course, this is a popular question or response that pastors and theologians get is, what is the will of God? And of course, the pastor should respond saying, what will of God are you talking about? So theologians categorize the will of God in I think seven different categories, the decretive will, the perceptive will, the revealed will, the secret will, all of these different ways in which God reveals himself or not. And so a lot of times we are asking the wrong question because in Deuteronomy 29 29 it says the secret things belong to the Lord that's the secret will of God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law so we automatically see two right there side by side but when people are asking and wanting to know the will of God they're often wanting to know the future Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? What town will I end up in 10 years? And the truth of the matter is, is none of us know the future. That is the secret will of God. And there's lots of pagan religions that would like to gander into the future by unholy means. But that secret knowledge is for God alone. But by His grace and mercy, He doesn't leave it there. He does conceal and hide things from us, but He also reveals things to us as well. And it says that, Those things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. So God has revealed to us in his word, his revealed will, or what we would call the perceptive will of God, which is the word of God. Again, it starts there, it ends there, it's empowered there, it's motivated there. It starts with the word of God, which reveals the mercies of God, which motivates us to walk as a living sacrifice, to live on the altar day in and day out. So these two little verses just leave us with a few questions. Does our theology move us from theology to doxology? Maybe today you're right here with your theological binder and you've got all the answers. But if you stay there, that doesn't do any good unless it leads you to doxology this doxology, this worship, you may be worshiping this morning, but my question is, is what motivates you to worship? Are you motivated by the mercies of God to worship, and then everything else from then on doesn't matter? Or are you motivated by the fog, lights, lights, fog, you know, pump and band, glorious organ? What is motivating your worship if you are moving from theology to doxology? But in the ways that you worship, are you worshiping only on Sundays or Wednesdays? Or are you living on the altar, living as a sacrifice, worshiping day in, day out in all that we do, in all of life, 24-7? If you're only worshiping on Sundays and Wednesdays, hear me today. You need to worship every day, all day, in all things that you do for the glory of God. But maybe you are worshiping all day, every day, and you're bringing this worship to church on Sundays. My question is, is it an acceptable manner? Is it a holy and acceptable manner of worship? Or have we decided that I'm going to worship God how I want to worship, in the way, in the time, in the manner that I want to worship, instead of what is dictated by His Word? And if you are, then obviously this is manifesting itself as worship, but is your worship continuing to be informed by the word so that you may know the will of God? If not, that's where we take you to again. You start with the word, you worship by the word, through the word, and this is going to bring you to the cycle. It ends to knowing the will of God, which we get from his word, and then his word motivates us, shows us the mercies of God, which leave us to the correct mandate in the correct manner. To renew our mind, to draw closer into the Word, and it just keeps cycling us forward. This is the way we move and live and breathe all day, every day. It is how the Christian moves forward from theology to doxology. Let's pray. Devilly Father, we thank you for what you have revealed to us, that you have not left us totally in the dark, that it is a complete grace and mercy that you would reveal anything to us. We are unworthy to read and hear and preach your word, but we thank you that you have not left us without a light. I pray that you draw us closer to you, closer to each other, that you will inform us and guide us and motivate us by your word to worship you every day, all day, as a living sacrifice to live our life on the altar. Forgive us when we fail you so often. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.